0: On today's episode of Everything You Need is Inside, Ruth Zuckerman, the co-founder of SoulCycle Flywheel and now doing her own thing, a published author, a mother, a woman with a bag of tricks that is so dense, only she could carry it all. So excited to have you on the show today, Ruth. I feel like we are long lost souls with so um, so much to talk about. Let's jump in. and it's sad because exactly what you said with the industry I mean the amount of people forget business owners instructors like even like patrons you know like this is wellness this is life this is way more than physicality this is the way that we see ourselves it's how we move it's how we relate it's how we express and um it's really inside out and Um, Yeah, so how are you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a day-to-day kind of thing. Um, I am, you know, I definitely started True Community in response to the pandemic simply because I needed to do something. It was just too difficult to not do anything. and. You know, there been definitely have been some silver linings, but at the same time, it's really scary. It's like, you know, we're not making money, and um, it's a process, and we have so many unanswered questions, all of us, um, in terms of what the future's going to look like, um, but then the flip side of all of that, in terms of what I've been experiencing, is um, this kind of going back to square one, and connecting with people in a way that I did in the very beginnings of soul cycle and flywheel and teaching at Reebok even before that. And, you know, I feel that so much of that got lost as the businesses grew and yeah. corporate stepped in and, and all of a sudden it wasn't as personal anymore. And, and so I'm enjoying that aspect of it to be able to like go back to the roots and, and relate to every single person, answer every single person's email or complaint or whatever. I do it with joy.
0: Yeah, so perfect segue. So, Ruth Zuckerman yes. is so original founder of Soul Cycle Flywheel and now True Community, and um, originally at Reebok, but like the pioneer, I would say, of like the spin movement, boutique fitness movement in New York City. If you started Reebok in New York, no,
1: I did, yeah. My very, my very, very first spin classes that I taught, however, were out in East Hampton, and then yeah. a couple of months later, I started in the city. So, like the OG,
0: the real, true OG, and <laughs> um, and also someone who I think created the connection that is well beyond fitness, the physicality of it, and really about like getting into the internal workings of the mind-body connection. So um, I'm grateful to be sitting in your presence, A, and B, to have learned from you what that even means, even on like a peripheral level, because um, you speak it, you preach it, you are it, you've written about it, you represent it, and everybody that knows you says the same thing. And I think that's a true testament to who you are, what you built, and now what you're building.
1: Really appreciate that, Liv. Thank you for sure. So it's
0: been a long road. Let's talk about the ugly parts. (laughs) Um, How did you even get into it in Reebok? How did you get there?
1: Um, I was a member of the Reebok Club uh, when I was married many, many, many moons ago, and. was able to keep my membership when I was going through my divorce, which was a traumatic part of my life. And it was during that period that I decided to try a spin class. Um, I used to see the spin classes going on. They were very popular at the time. The room was full and there was all this incredible energy and it was dark and great music. And I would walk back and forth and feel intimidated, but knew that I wanted to get in there. So I did one day and I just pushed myself. I didn't go with, with a friend. I went by myself and that was it. One class. Mm-hmm. And I immediately saw that this could be something way more than just exercise. And it, it, it was for me. And it was very cathartic with all of the stress that I was going through. And I felt empowered after 45 minutes and um, I decided I need to do this every day. I mean, if this is how I'm going to feel at the end of 45 minutes in this incredibly difficult time of my life, I need, I need it every day. And, and that's how I started on the whole spinning trajectory. And um, as you know, Liv, when you're in the group fitness world, you tend to gravitate towards certain instructors that you get very involved with. And um, I had one at the Reebok Club who really inspired me. And one day he just got up in front of the class and said, hey, everyone just want to let you know I'm moving out of New York. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was the worst thing I could possibly hear. I didn't know how I was going to go on. I was so dependent on this guy to teach these great classes. And it was devastating, but I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do now because I'm not going to stop spinning. So that was the moment when I decided maybe I should just start teaching. And I did have somewhat of a background in group fitness many, many years before I even got married when I was teaching aerobics, which followed my dance career, which came to a screeching halt um, way sooner than I thought it would. And then I got into group fitness a bit. So I had some experience, obviously not teaching spin and I, Auditioned for the manager at Reebok, they hired me in a few minutes, and that started my career as a spin instructor at Reebok. That's amazing.
0: And then I want to, I <laughs> no, I also I want to rewind even before that. So divorce forever, okay. but like as I read your book, and I loved the candid um, expression and emotion about like familial relationships. I think that's what yeah. like I I struck me the most because people don't talk about those those pockets of their lives, but actually it's because those pockets exist that we become the people that we are, or we transition into the people that we no longer want to be. Yes. So um, I don't know, are you, are you open to just discussing like that a bit, like how that, like, I mean, dance career or whatever, but before that, like what, what took you down this path of of least resistance? I mean, you 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 speak resilience because you're resilient, and I think a lot of that has to do with your upbringing.
1: Absolutely, a lot of it, I guess, became a response to my upbringing, and and I have no problem talking about it. I talk about it a lot because I think it's really helpful for people, as you said, to hear. Um, you know, how much we are influenced by this first relationship we confront in our lives, which is the day we're born. Our relationship with our parents becomes that relationship that we often model every subsequent relationship after. Um, As you and I have discussed on our own personal time, you know, those relationships with your parents can be tricky. And um, sometimes we repeat the negative Aspects of them and sometimes the positive as well for me um, I had a very domineering mother and uh, she really didn 't allow me to have much of a voice. Her, she always knew more than I did, always knew better than I did, and as a result, I grew up uh, with very low self esteem I mean why wouldn 't I have low self esteem when someone is always telling me they know more than I do or i don't i don 't know that much so um, it 's not a coincidence that I got very involved in dancing from the moment I started dance class at age eight um, because in a sense, I realized in retrospect that dancing became my way to express myself since I couldn't really use my voice, hmm. um, so I expressed myself through my, through movement and music, which obviously goes hand in hand with dance, became an incredibly important part of my life. Um, my father was a musician, and we always had music playing in the house, so I was always exposed to different kinds of music, from classical to jazz to folk to uh, really all of it and um, and so through dance and music, both those, those elements became huge forces in my life. Music became a way for me to escape my mom. You know, I sat in my room and listened to records for hours. And, um, and so I knew that those were aspects of my life that would always be in my life, movement and music. Um, you know, I had to struggle, uh, to, oh, I was always, butting up against my mom who, as I said, always told me that I didn't know that much and she knew everything and I couldn't make a decision without going to her first. And um, therefore, unfortunately, I made a lot of wrong choices in relationships growing up, whether they were with girlfriends, men, business partners, um, because I modeled them and created a very similar dynamic where I always put myself in the back seat and I always let everyone else make the decisions thinking assuming that they they knew more than I did yeah. through a lot of work in therapy I realized actually I actually know a lot and um, and it's not true that other people always know more than I do and so what I'm saying is obviously through therapy um, I was able to find my voice. Um, and it was I a think, long yeah. process.
0: No, and I think it's beautiful too, because even though like the way that, I mean, music and movement, it also, it was your voice, but you actually took it like 20,000 times step further to create a therapeutic experience, really as a pioneer of that, to probably empower and inspire people to find their own voice, like outside of the physicality, which I think is really beautiful and your purpose in a lot of ways. I mean, it's in your purpose. Um, exactly. Exactly. And with that though, like back to the familial relationships, I think that it's, it's a lot of this is, or you can call it shadow worker. I mean, it's part of like the shadow, but it's, I think it's becoming more common, um, that people are talking about these things or even diving into those relationships, but we're also raised to revere the people that raise us or revere, you know, because they're the archetype and whether we're revering them as the parental person or like, or the relationship that they have. Like I, Mm -hmm. I always look at my parents' marriage or I had for so long of like, and I think it was part of like the struggle in my own relationships because like you want to model after what your parents have. But like when you get older, you realize like, do I really want that? Or is this just what I'm so conditioned to believe is the right way? Um, so, and we carry, again, we carry those pieces, you know, with us, in us, until we decide that
1: we don't want to anymore, you know? Exactly, and I think a lot of the people that do decide that probably also make the choice to go into therapy and do that kind of work so that they can figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. I was able to figure out who I am and I'm a very different person from my mother who was so dominating, um, you know, and again, the reality was, I'm not sure she ever really knew who I was. Interesting. I'm not sure I ever knew who I was. And just curious, did she know who she was? Definitely not. She was so closed and buttoned up and just wouldn't go there. And of course, you might find it interesting that she was a psychotherapist. Okay. Wow. Right. <laughs> yes, that which happens sometimes, you know.
0: Yeah, I actually think it's quite common. Maybe not the button-up yeah. part, but like the the complicated part. Or I'm actually in the middle of a really good book. Um, I think her name was Lori something, and it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Somebody. And yes, it's, um, I read it.
1: Yes, it's really interesting.
0: So interesting, and it's um, I just got my life coaching certification. I think like in life, we coaches, but my passion and it was always like speaking this mantra and this truth and whatever. And I just ended up packaging it into a physical experience because I'm physical and like, I'm actually quite excited to take it out of the leotard and the the physical space and really get one-on-one deep with people. But I'm so intrigued mostly by the fact that in this book, she like transitions from her therapy sessions and patients, but she also speaks to her own therapy sessions when she's with a therapist. Um, because we all have stories and we all have traumas and we all have, you know, things that we um, can work through. It's like you said, it's a choice to go there, but um, yeah. Mm. And, And it was one thing that really stuck with me was we marry our unfinished business.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I forgot about that point. Yes.
0: And in whatever way, so be it a business partner, be it a life partner, be it, you know, a relationship or even like, an employee, like an employee you're hiring, like it's, there's something there and you have to be very careful about like what you're, what you're getting involved with and why, like if there's, if there's clarity, if it's clean, you know?
1: A thousand percent. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, um, good for you for writing a book and airing all your (laughs)
1: long stories. I I, I was just going to say, I, I did it because the main reason why I wrote the book was I just wanted to inspire people and let them know that we all go through setbacks and moments that feel like failure, um, but we can build resilience and we can pull ourselves out of them. And I just felt that by talking about some of my examples, um, people would say, wow, if she can pull herself out of that, then I can definitely do this. And, and, you know, and then the other piece of it was I really didn't find myself till much later in life. And I always tell people that when I co-founded Soul Cycle I was 48. And when I co-founded Flywheel, I was 52. And that's always a, an aha moment for people when they hear it. It's kind of like it gives them hope that yeah. it doesn't matter how old you are. They can do it. You can do it again and again.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that just speaks to your, regardless of resilience, like your joie de vivre, you just carry an energy and that's why people respond so um, fluidly to you, which is beautiful. And and it's like dream of mine is to write a book and I've written proposals and whatever else, but it's interesting in all of this COVID, whatever, quiet time when it's actually gave me time to like slow down and really go in. I've just personally uncovered like such severe trauma um through like plant medicine actually um and those kind of therapies that are for someone like me too like i'm a writer i think at heart i'm a writer and i write a very very vulnerable blog um and when i've written like stories about like my entrepreneurial father who was wasn't totally present even though he was at the dinner table every night like that was an uproar and now that i've actually gone like super in and and learned things about my past not even my family things that I'm now privy to like I it's something I really consider because I will share that these things on a very large scale not for my ego but for the purpose of inspiring others to to um not see themselves as a victim but a survivor in a lot of ways. I love that. Um, and uh sadly it's it's true it's sadly that I can say these things but and more than once kind of thing and um but the sharing I know is going to cause pain. For you know the people that I am related to, because I have no shame. I have no shame in sharing, um, because it's not it's not about me. It's about you know changing the script and the story for other people who carry that shame.
1: Exactly, I, f- I feel that you and I share that similarity um, in that we both do that. And as you well know, and I've read a lot of your a lot on your blogs. Um, It's when you get deep and when you are willing to be vulnerable, that it's only then that you connect with your readers and connect with everyone who listens to you because because you're willing to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And um, just sort of echoing what you were just saying, when I was going through the process of writing the book, there were so many moments where I stopped myself and said, I don't, I think I'm going to have to pull it. I don't, I can do this. It's too personal. Um, I, you know, I, I just feel too exposed. But something in me kept pushing. Mm-hmm. Me to do it, and um, and then I ultimately realized that here I was spending most of my life without a voice. I realized that putting this book out was the ultimate example of finally using my voice, and I had, and that's why I just felt compelled to do it. And again, also, um, agreeing with what you're saying, it wasn't for my own purposes, it was knowing that I'm not unique. I know that so many, so much of what I've gone through, as I said before, is very similar to what all of us go through. And that's why I wanted to share it, to comfort other people and let them know that they can get through it too.
0: I mean, I think that you probably inspired so many people to, if not even like get through it, to actually like look into it, you know? Yes. Even like the inception point of like, oh, maybe this is why that i keep repeating these patterns or you know so i think that's that's the beauty of life it's that i really believe we're all connected and you find certain people along your path that you really see in a different way because either they see you or they've allowed your you to see you right they've like opened up something in you and um i think that's why we're all here like just to be seen, just to see each other. And in a weird way, COVID has, to me, brought a lot of clarity, you know? Like even though it's painful and like my business is shutting down in many ways and my life is changing, but like I think if you don't leave this experience or even sit in this experience because we're not going anywhere yet and really like have some sort of clarity on like, what do I really need? Then Mm -hmm. you miss the whole boat.
1: I couldn't agree more. What a humbling time this is, and um, I think there are silver linings. I think uh, we learn a lot about what, how much we need, and in certain areas, and how much we don't need, Um, because we're obviously surviving with a lot less in general. And that's really that's been very enlightening to me. Um, Excess and what's important and yeah it's quite quite an experience
0: so coming from from soul cycle flywheel, and now true community and like doing it all you know hands dirty again taking mm-hmm. it on um besides the client emails and the day-to-day and everything else like how does it, how do you feel in it like how does it feel <laughs>
1: A really good question. Um, you know, as I said before we started, it's definitely day to day, week to week. It's humbling. Um, it's also very gratifying again because I, it's so um, connected, and you know all of the classes are taught on Zoom. Intentionally, we don't have on-demand classes because, again, it's the emphasis for true community is about the connection, even more than the actual fitness class, um, because. People need to connect and people obviously need to connect more than ever in in this pandemic so I'm really enjoying that part of it um, a lot of it is trial and error and figuring out you know because again this is all new territory for all of us so figuring out what works what doesn't work I mean right down to what are the best time slots I mean I was doing that in the beginning of soul cycle and the beginning of flywheel but again all new territory everyone's home now so that makes the choice of time slots different. people have more flexibility um, so it's it 's just fascinating to start again and you know I also get to bring lessons learned to this time around and One of the things that was most exciting to me about starting true community was the two people that I chose to do it with because they 're both people that i 've known for a long time and so I know that I completely trust them, and they completely trust me. There's just like absolutely no question about that, and there's something really comforting about that. I, I didn't always have that in the past, and so it's really nice. Actually, yes, that it is that. really nice, and and it's interesting, Liv, because because of the dynamic uh, between the three of us among the three of us we attract people that we trust and like. And so it sounds very, um well, well. I can't get the expression, it sounds like very, you know, too good, too, you know, goody-body. but, um, but we just attract this great group of people, you know, many of whom had been taking class with us previous to the pandemic. Um, but that's comforting too, to just like, hang out every morning in our fitness class with people we really love. And so that means that the five or 10 minutes before the class starts on Zoom and the five or 10 minutes after the class ends, we're all chatting. We're all talking about the election. We're all talking about, you know, whatever is going on, the weather, whatever. And it's fun and everybody's connecting. And and by the time we're done after the hour, we're ready to start our day and we're happy and we feel good. And that's, that's what we want.
0: Totally. And so with that, so like
1: this idea of community, true community,
0: there's obviously something with the word, you know, you wanted to build a community. Yes. Um, Going back, rewinding back again to your experience, let's say starting with SoulCycle and then transitioning to start Flywheel, like, I mean, those were large scale. I mean, Flywheel started small and I guess SoulCycle started really small too, but like It did. Over these, you know, time periods building these different businesses, like- what would you, what, what did you take and what did you leave from those? Meaning with true community? Yeah. Or like even with the businesses, like even yeah. individually.
1: Well, I mean, go, transitioning from Seoul to Fly was a really incredible opportunity because with Flywheel, we were second to market. Um, I was able to choose what I thought worked really well at Seoul and, and also... Um, have the awareness of what didn't work in my mind and how we can make improvements on those components. So, you know, back in the day when we opened SoulCycle, we had this very kind of compromised space. And it was a narrow hallway and narrow doorway to get into the studio. So we had sweaty bodies rubbing up against clean bodies and it was kind of disgusting. And so when we were constructing flywheel, we made really wide hallways and really wide doorways, like things as, you know, small as that but they were actually really important Um, we wanted to avoid standing on a long line to sign up with a pencil and paper so we set up little laptops across a shelf so people can check in themselves so it was really actually advantageous in many ways to be second to market Um, so I learned a lot you know in terms of that transition you know go again, going into true community is just a whole nother category, right because yeah. things are just so different now um, but as I said before, it's just been so nice to make it personal again because now with true community, I'm coming from big business boutique fitness, you know, boutique fitness made that leap and that's where I'm coming from. And there were a lot of things about that that I didn't like. And so that's why it's so refreshing in a way to be able to go back to um, the personal attention that we used to to give our our, um, users and customers and clients.
0: And I think that's probably what people value most right now but I assume that like it m- might be challenging like the marketing effort because the amount of money these businesses have to attract new clients, um, the budgets are outer worldly. But I assume because you and your team have a following already, it's like you have a core client and it's probably then just bringing
1: new people in from there, I assume. Definitely. And I wanted to actually mention something very important in terms of um, what I wanted to do a true community, which is, again, with the evolution of boutique fitness and where it went um, in terms of becoming a bigger business and uh, corporate people moving in, um, it all became about um, meeting meeting a bottom line mm-hmm. and money, and how much how profitable can we be and so when that became the focus, one of the first things that happened was actually in both businesses was instructors were kind of pushed to the back seat their their pay was cut, mm-hmm. and they weren 't regarded in my opinion with the importance that they should have been regarded with, and as you and I know for sure they're the most important part of these businesses. And so I made it my business when we started True Community to make sure we had a business model where... Instructors were really well rewarded for what they did. And obviously, um, without brick and mortar and without a heavy rent overhead, we could do it a lot more easily because we're teaching on Zoom. At the same time, I will tell you you know, is my business model the smartest business model in terms of being profitable? Probably not. Um, but for me, in this time, it was just much more important to let instructors feel good about the business they were bringing in and the classes they were teaching. And as we know, being rewarded well is is one of the first ways to feel really good about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. So with that said, what do you look for when you're hiring an instructor? If you don't know them, what, what's like, what do you,
1: what do you see? The most important thing for us at true is instructors that reflect the same values that we do Um, you know if an instructor's first question is how much am I going to make that probably wouldn't be the right fit for us even though my answer is a good answer Um, that's not where I want the priority priority to be I, I only want instructors who understand the power of connecting with their users and how important that is and Um, especially now more than ever, you know, during this pandemic. So, um, it's that I want nice people, nice people um look at the world we've been living in and then we have joe biden who's a nice person and that's what i want and I just needs a hug right now exactly and um trust me I, you know as you know i have encountered a lot of people through the course of my business career who just were so not nice um and just I don't know, as far as I was concerned, had the wrong priorities in a fitness business. To me, and I know to you, a fitness business is about feeling better at the end of the day. It's that simple. And that's what I want. Yeah,
0: no, I love that you said that. Sometimes I feel guilty as like an entrepreneur and I, granted, I'm a sole founder and whatever else. And like having the business side of my business has always been, you know, what I've sought out and like worked with Kristen Addis, as you know, and she really like you know parameters around me and everything's very linear linear and it's like make a decision etc but like everything to me is so heart related because as you said fitness is feeling and if you can't feel the people if you can't feel the connection the chemistry the energy it's like we're just selling something that's intangible but yet it's it, all it is is tangible so like exactly. and it, it's just like you know and at the same time like all I should focus on is the bottom line. All I should focus on is how many new leads I'm getting. And I don't think that way. I don't live that way. I don't breathe that way. I don't eat that way. Like I want like everything sensory to me. Everything's emotional to me. And is it the best way? Doesn't matter. It's my way. <laughs> That's what it is.
1: Exactly. It's who you are. And there are so many incredible... Valuable things about who you are, and um, I was just going to kind of sum up what you're saying or conclude by saying, "Look what's happened to all these businesses." And I'm not—I'm actually not talking about um, pandemic-related. We saw what we we saw what's been happening, what had been happening with a lot of these businesses that just grew extremely quickly, scaled extremely quickly before the pandemic even hit. And, you know, Flywheel obviously is a glaring example of, you know, it really started on this downward trajectory way before the pandemic. And I really feel um, that it raises the question of, were these businesses really ever meant to grow to that degree? Because look what happened. It didn't work. And so maybe they weren't. I don't know, Liv. You know, I think it's an interesting thing to look at.
0: I do too. And I think that it's, it's all comes down to connection because when you lose that connectivity, right. When it's because you want to be able to grow and scale and make money or whatever, but like when you lose the connectivity and like the pulse of it, then Mm -hmm. can it really survive? And I think it's what you said. And, um, and, and even beyond that, like, there's so much smoke and mirrors in the fitness industry, in the restaurant industry, in the hospitality industry, in so many industries where just because something has a lot of real estate or has like incredible marketing, you know, and you see it everywhere, doesn't mean that A, they're making money or B, the people that are there are happy or the people that are, are managing it are happy. And, um, and actually that's something that gets me, I don't let it get me down as much as I used to, but you know, it's, it goes back to like, where's the pulse? Yes. Does anybody care? how do how do how are they making people feel how do people feel it's like the hottest restaurants in the country you go in there and you're not even you're not even like served because you're not the vip and it's if you don't feel good in my opinion forget the food if i don't feel good in my seat i'm not coming back
1: exactly that's right
0: like that's where it starts and that's where it ends and um and it's become like, you know, it's, it's such a consumerist society. It's like, how much can we eat? How much can we buy? How much do we have? Um, how many followers? How many this and that? And, and it moves the needle in some ways. But at the
1: end of the day, like, where's the pulse? Is, there, is, there, is it alive? Can you- exactly. At the end of the day, all of that feels so vapid, you know?
0: And because it is.
1: So I guess my question to you, and I'm with you, forget the pandemic. We're just sitting here. Yes. What, what happens now? What happens next? I think that's the billion dollar question. Um, I, part of me, a big part of me believes that because this pandemic has been so humbling, um, I feel that there is going to be a lot of full circle um, examples out there in business where we are going to get back to a place of humanity. Um, And again, it's not dissimilar to what has happened to in our leadership of this country. Um, I think that everything kind of exploded and people stood up and said they're not going to take it anymore um so that's actually my hope as well um it does seem like things are going in that direction and you know what maybe we won't you know be focused on designer bags and um, you know um, the ritziest vacations and the most expensive restaurants maybe it maybe it will all be amazing you know live I just it just seems like we're headed in that direction and it's not such a bad thing
0: no I hope you're right I think like again it's that connection piece it's like all of that stems from within. So, if maybe if we have leadership that leads with the connection, with the hug, with the the see, you know, the sight, the the feel, then um, the country will change for the better. Forget the country, the world. But I think even with back to the fitness piece, like that's what your goal has always been. Like really. Yes allowing people to connect within. Forget connecting with you. I mean, they do that naturally. You pull that out of people. But I think it comes back to that internal connection that we all, without knowing, seek. But so often we have no guidebook on how to get there.
1: Exactly. And I was just going to say, it all comes back at the end of the day to the individual. And for me, the hope will be that people can start to let the wall down a little more and be a little more courageous about being vulnerable and not having to put on airs anymore or feel that they need 2 million followers on Instagram. How about let's just get back to basics and let's, be, let's learn who we are and let's be proud of it.
0: Well, I think, like, so beautifully said, the whole premise of this podcast and my coaching and the door of my studio says everything you need is inside. And um, from the first time I met you, when I read your book, had I had heard about you, you know, over and over again. I was so drawn to... It was your energy, but then really the stories that um, you didn't even need to tell—that you just like stand in because you're such a testament to someone who's seen, been, done, and you're—you're um, you're not even like you're thriving, but in a way that's like so um, like buoyant, like you—you you just you, really, you. you you have an air to you that's so. Um, it's just a joie de vivre. Like that to me is like the most attractive thing in a person is if you have a joy for life, regardless of the walls crumbling around you or what's <laughs> going on inside of you. Like it's like that inner, like childlike energy that you have. Maybe at some point in your life lost or like it went dark for a bit, but you've refound. And um, I admire you. I look up to you. And I'm, I'm like I said when we started. I'm, I'm
1: so grateful that you took the time to talk. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, we had a connection from the get-go, Liv.
0: I know we had such a <laughs> from the get-go. Um, last, uh, last question.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, okay. Well, two questions, three questions. One, um, because food and fitness are always related. What's like your, what's your fave? What's your go-to to make? And then, what's your like restaurant, New York City?
1: Ooh. Um, probably my favorite meal is going to be. A juicy steak uh on the grill outside with a little blue cheese on the side and um <laughs> I mean come on what's better than that you know and and of course the fattiest the fattiest steak so a nice marble ribeye would be um my dream is my dream of a delicious meal. Um, going to the other end of the spectrum, when I think of some of my favorite restaurants, um, and I don't order steak at this restaurant, but I love Maria. Um I just think they know how to do seafood like nobody's business with, you know, with an Italian, obviously. No, I was um, brand director for that company for seven years.
0: Really? Yeah, I was brand director of the Alta Maria group. That's my business partner in this space. It's above Ostria Marini. It's, oh my God. I started my career in New York City after culinary school and Food and Wine Magazine as
1: Michael White's assistant when I was 23. Amazing. I think you told me that. And now it's coming back. Will you, don't you love Maria? <laughs> it's exquisite it's exquisite and it's always exquisite so I'm jaded because I don't pay don't tell me oh my god that's amazing oh yeah, I'm so, yeah I'm going there with you sometime oh my
0: gosh! and what they've done have you seen what they built
1: outside I did I walked by recently yes
0: like the most beautiful they just did a really good job
1: I need to go back
0: um and I would say last question, two, last two questions. One, give me some quick entrepreneur, young entrepreneur advice. Tell me what to do. Uh,
1: Follow your passion. Keep it soulful. Keep it, you know, filled with your heart and just never give that up.
0: Perfect. And the term phrase, everything you need is inside, distill
1: that for me. I love that. Um, I think it's what we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes. It's all about who you are and being proud of who you are and um, not being afraid to show who you are.
0: Amen. Ruth Zuckerman, thank you always. So High
1: five on that.
0: You too. Um, happy Wednesday. Thank, thank you. You too. Great to see you, Liv. Thank you. And uh, congrats on true community and, and
1: everything Thank else. you.
0: Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening and trusting, never forgetting that everything you need is inside. You can find me on Instagram at LiveYoung, find my blog at liveyoung.co, connect, send a note, DM. I'd love to hear your feedback.